what I really want to drive home to, to anybody listening and to, to Canadians is this bogus argument that we can't afford pharmacare. We can't afford not to bring in pharmacare. So the government continues to make, frankly, foolish public policy decisions that end up costing all of us more money. Welcome to Perspectives, a journal of Canadian political economy and social democracy. My name is Clement Nokos, editor of Perspectives Journal and director of policy and engagement at the Broadband Institute. At the Federal New Democratic Party of Canada's 2023 convention held October 13th to 15th in Hamilton, Ontario, party membership voted unanimously for the NDP to withdraw support of the Liberal government's confidence and supply agreement holding the minority parliament together if they do not deliver on a universal, comprehensive, public national pharmacare program. Pharmacare was one of the terms and conditions of the initial agreement and would help to enable the further decommodification of healthcare in Canada, pushing back against privatization while eliminating major costs to Canada's healthcare systems. So after the vote, what's next? To dive deeper into what this means for the federal NDP, Social Democratic commentator and columnist Tom Parkin spoke to Don Davies, Member of Parliament for Vancouver Kingsway and federal NDP health critic for Perspectives Journal. Introducing a Universal Pharmacare Act this fall is a key condition of the deal between the NDP and Liberals that has kept Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's minority government afloat over the last year. But tensions notched up between the two parties last month after the NDP rejected a draft of the government's Pharmacare Act, saying it didn't meet expectations. And more recently, delegates to the NDP's National Convention raised the stakes by unanimously supporting a resolution authorizing party leaders to end the deal if the Liberals back out of creating a universal single-payer Pharmacare plan. Joining me now to talk about the NDP's push for a Pharmacare plan is NDP health critic Don Davies. Thank you for joining, Don. It's great to be with you, Tom. Don, I've heard you say Canadians pay amongst the highest drug prices in the world. How high are prices here compared to elsewhere? Well, depending on who you believe, we either pay the second, third, or fourth highest in the world. And it doesn't matter what the source is, it's unacceptable because that places us in a crowded area that we don't want to be in. And it's a metric that we we can and should change. And of course, drug prices have been a political issue for uh, a long time, years, decades. But a lot of us were surprised and perhaps none more so than the Liberals themselves when back in 2019, their own task force came back with a recommendation backing the universal single payer plan, uh, the plan that you and the NDP support. What is it about this model that has earned it so much support in report after report? Well, Tom, it shouldn't be surprising really because it's really our Medicare system. And we are well aware that our public healthcare system is the fairest, most effective, most efficient way to make sure that every Canadian can get access to the healthcare they need simply as a matter of right through their health card and not dependent on the size of their bank account or wallet. So basically, the advantages of a single-payer system is that it's the best way to, to cover every Canadian for their pharmaceutical needs and also to save billions of dollars at the same time. And study after study from a variety of different sources, royal commissions, advisory councils, parliamentary committees, eight of them that I'm aware of, have come to that conclusion. So it's rare that you see such a consensus on a public policy issue where it's unanimous that this is the best, most effective, efficient way to to, to deliver pharmaceutical coverage to Canadians. And I and I believe uh, I've heard you say that the Hoskins task force, the 2019 report we were speaking of, did look at the Quebec model, which is a, a di- not a single payer, is a different structure. Is that right? 
So. Yeah, Quebec utilizes the other major competitor, which is called a fill the gaps system, which is basically keeping a private public patchwork. So you keep everybody who's got coverage now in the private sector, and then you just create a second plan for people who don't have coverage now. And we study that in depth, and we were specifically and explicitly warned against doing that because it results in the most expensive way to deliver coverage. So if you want to make sure that every Canadian has coverage for the prescription medications that they need, and you want to make sure that we get the best value for dollar, then the single-payer system, our public healthcare system, wins hands down. The confidence and supply agreement between the NDP and Liberals committed the Trudeau government to bringing in a Universal Pharmacare Act this fall. But when they provided you a draft of their of their bill, a draft bill in September, you said no. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you found wrong with that bill. Well, simply put, it, it did not commit to a single-payer pharmacare delivery system. And for us, that's a, it's a red line. It's, it's a absolute condition. And again, not, not because of ideology. I mean, I happen to be a very, very strong believer in and proponent of public health care for many reasons. But again, when you have the Hoskins Advisory Committee, the Health Committee in the House of Commons, the Citizens Advisory Council in 2016, the Romano Report, going back to the Emmett Hall Commission back in the 60s, when all of these, uh, the parliamentary budget officer for that matter, when all of these different varied sources study the issue intensely and come up with the single-payer system, then we can't in any way justify departing from that. And the legislation the Liberals tendered simply didn't do that. From the, I know there's been various numbers and, and times change and uh, the value of the dollar change, but about how much uh, would a single-payer plan save Canadians overall? In 2017, when the parliamentary budget officer costed out Pharmacare because we asked the, the PBO to do that, when we were spending about $24 billion totally on all sources on pharmaceuticals in this country that year, he thought we would save $4 billion. Uh, in other words, we would spend $20 billion that year if we'd have had single-payer Pharmacare. And the, that consistently gets replicated as we continue to spend more. So, for instance, this year in Canada, we're expected to spend $35 billion from all sources. Mm -hmm. That's provinces, employers, employees, mm -hmm. the federal government, all sources for every single prescription drug. The numbers I've seen are that we would save anywhere between 4 and $11 billion by moving to single ph pharmacare now. And last weekend, uh, you were at the microphone uh, when the party convention uh, placed an emergency resolution, and you spoke in favor of it uh, to say that... Uh, well, to underscore the party's commitment to a universal single-payer plan, can you tell us a little bit about the motion and how does that play into the delicate uh, talks that you're having with the government now? Well, our confidence and supply agreement that we signed committed the government to, the exact words are, continue to make progress on universal national pharmacare by introducing legislation in 2023. Actually, pardon me, it says passing legislation in 2023. Uh, it also speaks, by the way, of us developing a formulary for essential medicines and a bulk buying program by the end of the agreement, which is June 2025. And uh, here we are. It's uh, at the time you and I are talking is that's mid-October, and we only have a, two months left in the legislative session uh, before 2023 is over. 
and we still haven't seen a commitment from the, the Liberals on single-payer pharmacare. So the resolution from our members, which passed unanimously, said that uh, we take it so seriously that it should be a matter of confidence for us. In other words, we should pull out of the confidence supply agreement if the Liberals do not deliver single-payer pharmacare. And I think that considering that we know that single-payer pharmacare is the bottom line and it's uh, the way to go on clinical, ethical, and economic grounds. And, and finally, I just want to say, Tom, to put a human face on it, there's 8 million Canadians who don't have access to pharmaceuticals today, and thousands of them die every single year simply because they don't have access to the medicines that they need. So there's an imperative to act. And so I think this was a shot across the bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a, a strong indication of how seriously NDP members take this issue. And frankly, we're calling on the Liberal government to do what they said they would do and what we think they ought to do and promise to do. Okay, well, where's the hitch? Uh, you know, if a single-payer system can deliver universal coverage at the lowest cost, uh, more less expensive than a, a patchwork plan, and, and even their own you know, task force have recommended it, what what do you think is motivating the Liberals' uh, resistance to it? I think there's a number of factors. Quite honestly, I, I think it's, I have never seen a government that is more beholden to big pharma than this Trudeau liberal government is. And that includes conservative governments that I've seen before. So I think they are afraid of big pharma. I think they're also have been effectively gotten to by the insurance industry in this country. So I think the liberals would rather protect the profits of big pharma and insurance companies than do the right thing. They also claim, I think wrongly, that we can't afford pharmacare. They think that it will affect Canada's fiscal position. I think they're getting a lot of pressure from the right side of their party and the conservatives who are giving them a lot of heat over their poor fiscal performance. So I think they don't want to do something that looks like they're bringing in another major uh, social policy that will cost money. And again, that's completely wrong in my opinion because Pharmacare will save them money. And Eric Hoskins told them that, parliamentary budget officers told them that three times. So uh, I I think that it's a matter of, uh, well, frankly, lack of political courage on their part and listening to the wrong people. But we've we've seen these kind of fights before. There was a recent one when uh, an effort to cut the cost of medicines uh, ran ran aground uh, with the patented medicines review board, um, and you know the whole process ended up in controversy and resignations. So what, what, give us the backstory on that one. Well, that's an excellent example, Tom. When Brian Mulroney gave Big Pharma uh, what they wanted back, you know a few decades ago, he gave an extension of patent protection for pharmaceuticals to 20 years, which is what they wanted. So that, you know, that's a pretty, pretty serious power to have where you have a monopoly on a product for 20 years and you can price it however you want and you can't, there's no competition. So at the same time, he created a body called the Patented Medicine Prices Review Board. It's quite a mouthful, PMPRB, we call it, that was expressly developed to protect the public from excessive pricing. So that's been in place for several decades now, and clearly it's failed because, as we said at the beginning of this interview, we pay about the second or third highest prices in the world. So clearly they're not protecting us from excessive pricing. So starting in 2016, Health Canada came up with a number of reforms to make the PMPRB more effective and stronger. And they identified three major reforms. Two of them, Big Pharma took to court and got them thrown out on constitutional and technical grounds. And there was one uh, reform left 
which would be a better way for Canada to compare ourselves to other countries in terms of our pricing. To, to go from seven countries, that includes the U.S. and Switzerland, they're the number one and two highest, throw that out and instead replace it with a comparator list of 11 countries with more reasonable prices like the U.K. and Germany. So that last proposal, at the last minute, uh, Health Minister Duclos, as he then was, asked the PMPRB to not proceed with that. And this was considered an unethical intervention and interference in the independence of the PMPRB. And several people resigned, including one of the members of the five-person board and the executive director and the acting chair. They said in public, which is very unusual, that uh, Minister Duclos' request parroted identically the talking points of Big Pharma. So it looked like, uh, once again, the Liberal government was more interested in protecting the profits of Big Pharma than they were trying to get drug prices down for Canadians. And, and yet governments themselves are some of the biggest purchasers and biggest payers of drug prices through provincial or federal plans for veterans, etc. Are they not? So, I mean, they would be the beneficiaries of lower prices themselves, yet prefer, it seems, to let them be higher. Well, they are. And uh, you're, you're exactly right. And I mean, that's why what I really want to drive home to, to anybody listening and to, to Canadians is this bogus argument that we can't afford pharmacare. We can't afford not to bring in pharmacare. So the government continues to make, frankly, foolish public policy decisions that end up costing all of us more money. Not only do we need, you know, better pharmaceutical policy on health grounds, but we need it for economic grounds. And again, that's why they lobby. I mean, Big Pharma, I think, was in the office of the health minister over 100 times last year. Um, that gives you an idea of, of, of how, you know, how, how, how much access they have to the Liberals. And, you know, I can only conclude that the Liberals are listening. Now, you've said uh, public pharmacare will initially cover essential medicines, then expand. Uh, can you give some examples of the commonly used medicines that might likely be covered from the very start as soon as this program gets going? Sure. Well, you know, that, that's why the NDP, like we are sensitive to, to not doing everything all at once. So that's why we've said, look, let's commit to single payer pharmacare and bite off a manageable chunk, which is an essential medicines list. There's a number of different formularies to choose from. There's a WHO list. There's an Ontario list. These are usually somewhere between 80 and 150 of the most common medications. But in terms of some, some easy examples are insulin, contraception, uh, antibiotics, some statins, uh, blood pressure medication that a lot of our seniors rely on. A very commonly used medication is one that brings down cholesterol. So, so these are, are very, very widely used drugs that benefit a lot of Canadians that are really important for public health because they, they keep, us, keep us out of hospitals and in some cases keep us alive. Uh, now, a lot of people obviously already have a drug plan. They, um, As a senior, they might have a, a drug plan through their province or they might have a workplace drug plan. So I have heard it expressed that uh, people saying, well, I'm a little concerned because what if this national plan isn't as, you know, isn't as got, got as good coverage or isn't as broad as the plan I existingly have? Um, is there any worry? Should these folks be worried? No, they shouldn't. You know, it's funny. Canada is the only country with universal health care coverage that does not have some form of universal pharmaceutical coverage. So whether you're in Germany or UK or Belgium or the Netherlands or Australia or New Zealand, frankly, even the U.S. Veterans Association, for that matter, all have coverage for, for their populations. And they all have 
extremely good healthcare plans. And what we're talking about is having an excellent formulary so that Canadians can get the medications that their prescribers say they need. So there's no reason that any Canadian should be worried that we won't provide at least as good, if not better, a formulary under single-payer pharmacare. That's a, that's a myth and a canard that big pharma tries to spread. Frankly, Tom, uh, for people our age, uh, that no history. It's the same kind of argument that uh, they made in the 1960s when uh, they tried to scare people and said, if we go to Medicare, that people would lose their ability to choose their doctor or they wouldn't get access to good care. And we know that that wasn't true then and it's not true now. So if, uh, if an existing workplace plan covered some medicine that, say initially, the national plan didn't because it's uh, your, the idea is, is starting on an essential list. They would still be able to use their existing private plan to obtain that, and then other medicines would be available through the public plan. Yeah, I mean it's it's a fair question, Tom, uh, to to work out what the transition would be like. I mean, it, it's a significant transition from a privately financed, privately paid plan to fold that into the single payer system. But hell, we we created Medicare from scratch that covers a lot more than this. Really, all we're talking about here is taking the basket of services that is covered by our public health care system and expanding it a little bit to include pharmaceuticals. So there will be uh, some challenges in how you get there, but I'm, I'm confident that we can do it. And, and another concern has been raised uh, in some corners, people trying to shoot at these ideas, about uh, the, the nature, you know, the federal relationship that uh, ultimately what your, your plan is that provincial health cards, you'd use your provincial health card at the pharmacy to pay for prescribed medicines, but it's the federal government purchasing. So how do these parts work together? And why do you think it, there won't be some resistance from some conservative provinces for you know joining the plan? Well, I think because it's 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 such an overwhelmingly attractive proposal. Uh, it's basically saying to every province, look, do you want to make sure that every resident in your province has access to pharmaceuticals when they need it? I think most premi- all premiums would say yes to that. And second, it does require a partnership, Tom. I mean, you know, our, our healthcare system doesn't work without a full par- fulsome participation from the federal government using its deeper pockets and spending power with the provinces who basically are delivering frontline services. You need both working. We see that in our healthcare system. Mm. And so the provinces can't do it alone and the federal government can't do it alone. It requires them both working together. So as long as the federal government steps up to the plate and provides its fair share of funding to the provinces, it should work the exact same way that we fund healthcare in this country. And and no province will be forced to do it the same way they're not forced to do Medicare. We're going to make an offer to provinces and say, if, if you agree to provide these formulas drugs to your citizens based on these five principles, which are the same principles of the Canada Health Act, which includes universality, portability, accessibility, public administration, uh, etc., and meet the formulary that's attached, we will give you X amount of dollars. And if that mm-hmm. amount of money is sufficient to the provinces, I can't see any province not wanting to sign on. But but the big win comes with the, the central purchasing from the federal government on behalf of uh, essentially 40 million Canadians, as opposed to the way drugs are currently being purchased, I, I guess, by drug plans and provinces. Well, that's, that's bang on, Tom. And I'm glad you asked that because this is the key reason that I, Canadians need to understand why single-payer pharmacare is the best system. You get bulk buying for 40 million Canadians. We don't do that now. Uh, then second, you have streamlined administration. We have 100,000, that's 100,000 extended health plans in Canada right now. That's in the Hoskins report. 
uh, we can replace that with 13 administration bodies. That's you know one for every province and the three territories. So you get administrative savings. You get cost-related non-adherence. That's, that's a fancy way of saying when people take their medicines when they need it, they don't get sicker and more expensive later on. I, I heard this one striking example of a, a person with diabetes who's, who ends up in the intensive care unit because they don't take their insulin will cost more from that one visit than it would to provide them with insulin for free for life. So it's a pretty stark example. And then better prescribing practices in a disciplined formulary. We do have to tighten up the way that we dispense um, and prescribe drugs in this country. The PBO found that our current private system wastes about a billion dollars a year through sloppy prescribing, like prescribing really expensive brand names when there's a much cheaper generic available. So Mm -hmm. people that think that the private sector is working more efficiently in pharmaceuticals are wrong. It's actually uh, wasteful. So if you had a, a strong public discipline formulary with a an arm's length professional therapeutics board, free from industry, free from government, who is making value for money decisions on what form what drugs get on the formulary, making sure we're getting value for money, that's another way that we can save money. So there's a broad number of things that we have to do in the pharmaceutical policy area to really get control of what is an, a really serious out of control cost problem because it's not just a health issue it's drugs are are the single fastest rising factor in healthcare we spend as much on pharmaceuticals today as we do on doctors and it's going to exceed that if we don't get control of this Mm -hmm. well don thank you so much for for joining and explaining what's at stake in these important talks good luck to you thank you so much tom appreciate it that was tom parkin in conversation with mp don davies the federal ndp's health critic If you like this conversation, share and subscribe to Perspectives, a journal of Canadian political economy and social democracy on all major podcast platforms, as well as Press Progress's Sources podcast that digs deeper into the news stories you won't find in the major papers. You can read more about the decommodification of care in Perspectives Journal, a publication of the Broadbent Institute by visiting perspectivesjournal.ca.